Hi, this is Sam Chamberlain, and welcome to Things to Ponder, the sermon podcast from St. Mary's United Church of Christ in Silver Run, Maryland. Follow along with St. Mary's at stmarysucc.org or on Facebook and Instagram. Wishing you peace and good, my friends. I'm going to invite you to do two works today. Preaching at its best is always a two-way thing. So I'm going to ask you to work. It's this much harder this morning. Pray for me as I preach in your own little way. Because I wrote this, I've been thinking about this sermon all week long, and it didn't land, it didn't land, it didn't land. And so I finished it up last night. I came over after, I had, after I'd been around for a little while. I came over, finished it up, got up this morning, and that, that's not what it's supposed to be. I don't know what God is calling me to preach. And so I rewrote most of it this morning. And after hearing of Mr. Hess passing, I'm all, I'm, uh, all of a sudden I'm like, oh, that makes a lot more sense. So I don't know what God has to say for us today, but I invite you to pray for me that whatever God has to say to us might come out in a way that is hearable for us all. At the beginning of this week, I did what I often do, okay? I start my sermons not from like what I feel inside of here because I'm a flawed, fallible person and Lord only knows if what I have to say is any good. I usually start with the word of God. And if I don't have a sermon series or whatever that we're in the middle of, I open the lectionary and I just start going through the readings. What does the church say we should read for this week? And the first reading that I came to, which comes to us today, is the book of Exodus chapter 16, the story of the manna in the wilderness. Having destroyed Israel's oppressors, the people of God are made free in the wilderness and now they must learn what it is to be a people. To be free is not the same thing as to be a people. And the first thing God teaches them is their own instability, their own inability to provide for themselves, and God's abundant, miraculous provision. Now certainly in this story, the Israelites don't come off looking very good here. In Exodus 15, well, in Exodus 14, they walk through the Red Sea. In Exodus 15, they're singing God's praises. And in Exodus 16, they're ready to kill Moses and Aaron. It's not a good look. And I wonder how you've heard this story before. I've often heard this preached as a screed against a sinful and short-memoried people. And there are times, brothers and sisters, for that sermon. Even the psalmist today, if you read the entirety of Psalm 78, it's not real nice. We did you all a favor and picked out the sweet and gentle part of how God provided. The beginning and the end of it is like, you all sort of missed out on God's provision. Psalm 78 has plenty to say about this story. But it was that sermon that didn't sit well in my soul all week long. So what if we stepped back and gave the whole story a chance to breathe? Looked at this from Israel's point of view. Because this story doesn't come to us in a vacuum. Consider what it is that Israel had been through. They were an enslaved people for hundreds and hundreds of years, which means uh, most certainly they had no memory of what it meant to be free. They only had memories of what it meant to be in bondage. And forgive me if I say it's a nearly impossible situation for most of us to put ourselves in to understand what it means for our ancestors to be enslaved. But nevertheless, try And then not only that, but a liberator comes, but he comes not with liberation immediately, he comes with plagues. And because of those plagues, they were being abused because of Moses' courage. And because of those plagues, they watched thousands of children 
die around them at the hands of this thing that they called the angel of death. They experienced extermination, potential extermination on the shores of the Red Sea as they're pinned between the sea and Egypt's mighty army. Then they have to take the remarkable risk. God literally splits the ocean and says, go ahead, y'all. And I know it's easy for us to say that would have been a fabulous journey. (laughs) Slow down for a second. To walk between two pillars of a seat. Yeah, maybe not for the faint of heart. Certainly not an easy decision to walk in the midst of that. Then they watch the Egyptians drown, which is equal parts liberation and trauma. And then finally, they sing their heads off in celebration of God's amazing and liberating love. That's a lot. That's a lot. And that's just what's behind them. Because what remains in front of them remains a difficult journey through a wilderness, a harsh, unforgiving wilderness towards Sinai, where they're going to receive the law of God. And, but in that journey and in that law giving, they are, excuse me, they are going to discover what it means to be God's people, a process they have no energy for given what they've seen. Think about that. They've been through all of this, and now the journey ahead of them is God's going to try to put them together in some way, and that is going to require a remarkable amount of work in its own. The people, my friends, are exhausted. What we get in the manna story is a warning about what can happen after the miracle. And the warning for us is that sometimes the hardest moments for us as God's people are after God has done the work. And the challenge of moving forward, not with sinful legs and hearts, but with heavy legs and hearts. And that's where this reading today grabbed me. It spoke to me. Because that is me today. And I thought I heard God whisper throughout this week, that's us as well. While we should be cautious, friends, about any proclamation that the pandemic is over, because it is not, I want to take a moment as we anticipate, you know, sort of September, Labor Day, school starting, coming back. I want to take a moment to say how proud I am of this congregation for the ways that it has weathered the storms of the past, what, what are we at, a year and a half? I don't even know. Let's just put it this way. When this started, I had much longer hair and no what passes for a beard. But how proud I am of us, how it has stuck together, loved one another, and weathered one of the most difficult seasons of this church's life in its history, or at least in my understanding of this church's history. Friends, there is no blueprint for what we've been through, and yet we found a way. Even before I showed up, you all were in a difficult position, pastoral vacancy, pastoral search, and the instability that always comes with that. And I've shared with some of you that I said, I don't know what that's like because I'm always, when I leave a church, I'm the one that leaves the mess. I never have to clean it up. So I don't know what that's like for you all. I just know it's a heavy load to bear. And then I show up and I fully appreciate that I am an acquired taste. But then COVID happens. And yet, and yet, online worship, Zoom Sunday school, Zoom Bible school, food drives, daily prayer, meal distribution, phone calls, and mass visits, and meeting after meeting after meeting, trying to get it right, and on and on our work goes, and all of it which is with as much grace and understanding as we could possibly find given the situation we were in. Not perfect, 
but beautiful. And to the point where I've spoken to other churches, I mean, clergy talk a lot to each other. And I've heard so often about how much this congregation has been admired, not only for our decisions, but for the spirit in which we made those decisions. So I want you to hear from me as we, in this season, how continually proud I am to be a part of St. Mary's. But all of that has consequences. I feel in my spirit, and this is where I'm risking this and offering it to you all, I feel in my spirit that we are very tired people. Not, not the kind of tired that is, I just got back from vacation tired, which is a wonderful kind of tiredness all on its own, but a tired that runs much deeper, sort of an existential quality to it, a weariness that says, well, what do we do now? Where are we at now? What just happened? And it's not solved by programming or an activity. Our lives are so disrupted. There's no real clarity about moving forward. We don't even have clarity around the virus, for crying out loud. And even if we knew where we should go, certainly these tired muscles are in no mood to sprint. And in that moment, a few weeks from autumn, back to church Sunday, all of that, this story, this manna story, comes to us. Weariness, my friends, is no sin. Hear that with as much clarity as I can muster. Israel didn't sin in its exhaustion, and neither do we. Weariness is no sin. Weariness is a part of the journey. I mean, for goodness gracious, Jesus himself was weary time after time after time, and he had to go find places to rest. But weariness does compromise us. It can make us vulnerable. And Israel's weariness takes her down some roads that she comes to regret. And it is a cautionary tale for the reader that some of the most challenging times of our lives are on the backside of our biggest achievements, the biggest things that God has done. Sometimes the hardest thing is not the thing God is doing. It's what happens after God does the thing God did. After the miracle, the greatest threat to us is no longer Egypt, no longer oppression, no longer active forces seeking to destroy us. This story reminds us that after the miracle, the biggest threats are often inside. Boredom, grumbling, spiritual malaise, disinterest, quarreling. All of it completely understandable. I guarantee all of us have experienced it in church life. And all of them setting a stage for trouble for the people of God that no one intends. Israel's story reminds us that the journey of faith ebbs and flows, but it never ends. It moves from one challenge to the next. But this story reminds us, again, Israel is not perfect. Israel is the people of God, but that doesn't mean they have been perfected. And so into this story, into this space, God says to the Israelites, I have heard you. This is an honest and benevolent God. When God says, I have heard you, this cuts two ways. God says, I have heard your complaining. I care. I have, I have internalized this. I've heard what you said. And there's also a piece of God when he says this. He goes, I heard what you just said. There's something beautiful about it. And also God is abundantly honest and says, I hear what y'all saying about Moses and Aaron. Like, that's not cool. God hears it all. But God doesn't react in wrath. God reacts in compassion. 
You see, God is not driven by our perfect behavior, our ability to keep up. God is driven by benevolence and says, I will provide. I am going to rain down manna on heaven for you. Now, the author is tricky. These words, rain down, were only used prior to this point in the narrative. Were only used for times where God used water for destruction. Stories like the flood, stories like Sodom, the plagues. And here the author grabs that and says, to the same degree that that was destructive, God is going, to, is going to flood Israel with goodness. And the people of Israel are called to trust that goodness. God says, as you have watched me rack, have, wreak havoc on oppressors, so you will watch me rain abundance on my children. So he says, I need you to trust that. Don't gather too much. Don't do too much. Only do what you are asked to do. You are called to live as if that abundance is a clear and present reality in your life, even in your exhaustion. So God gives them the very simple task. Gather what you need. God says, I will provide. And in the fullness of time, there was a man who came claiming to be the son of God. He too came to a tired people. Tired of the Romans, tired of taxation, tired of war, tired of oppression, asking existential questions about what it means to be the people of God in an occupied land. So when this man comes with a message of God's compassion, they flock to him. And what does Jesus do? We read this last week. Jesus provides. Last week he fed 5,000 men. We haven't gotten to the women and children yet. You know that. He feeds 5,000 men, meeting their most immediate needs as they too were in this wilderness listening to Jesus preach. And they're all like, yo, how are we going to feed these folks? And Jesus is like, I got you. Watch this. You see, friends, God hears and responds to our most immediate needs. And so because of that, completely understandable, the people continue to follow Jesus. Jesus, remember, he gets in the boat in the middle of the night, and that's when the storm, you know, Jesus calms the storm and it all. Well, he gets all the way to the other side. The people wake up and go, wait a second, where did Jesus go? So they scurry around the lake, and they find him over there because they want to be provided for again. Again, completely understandable. But their journey then wasn't inspired by the wonder of what God has done. Jesus accuses them and says, look, you all are just here because I'm filling your bellies, y'all. They're inspired by a pragmatism, looking for someone to solve this irritating problem of hunger. But this time, Jesus gives them a different instruction. He says, do not work for the food that perishes. So I've already taken care of that. But for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Jesus is not saying food is not important. Jesus does food miracles all over the place. What Jesus is doing is saying, because you have experienced the goodness of God, because you have seen a miracle happen, let your vision for what God can do stretch. Not just to meet us in the moment, but bringing us to a way of living that is sustainable, abundant, and beautiful. A way of life that doesn't arise out of some economic manipulation. It arises out of grace. There is enough for all. It's so interesting that these people who follow after Jesus respond in a very pragmatic way. Their, their concern about being fed drives them to want to work even harder to try to hold on to these blessings. And their response is this pragmatic, well, what do we got to do? Tell us what we have to do. 
And Jesus, they're still leaning into their own agency, their own sense of, we'll fix this, Jesus. But Jesus says, with a glimmer in his eye, I am the bread of life. I am the one who liberates. I am the one who hears your praises. I am the one who knows your struggles. I see your weary, anxious, heroic, flawed hearts. And I'm not asking you to do anything more. And just not even come to me. He says, I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you. And in the way that the Father shows compassion in the Old Testament, so the Son shows the same kind of compassion in the New In our weariness, Christ finds us. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. In the world that Jesus comes to bring, and in the world in which we are called to live, there is abundance for all. There is enough for me, and there is enough for you, and there is enough for our neighbor. We don't have to provide it. God provides, we receive. And that which God provides will strengthen our souls for the journey that remains ahead of us. And so my friends, co-workers in the Lord's vineyard, two things can be true about us. In this moment, there is so much that is behind us. In this moment, there is a weariness that is okay. But there is work left ahead of us. And as we examine our own hearts, and as I observe your hearts, there is so much that is brave and strong and praiseworthy. And God will find that in you and in us in time when God is ready. So if you find yourself weary in this moment, be at peace. You are not outside the bounds of God. Your tired muscles are not a sign of abandonment of God's principles. It's a sign that God has done something of value in us. In fact, this weariness brings us to a place where we trust God all the more and it prepares us for the next step in the journey. If God has already called us to walk the Red Sea in faith, God is calling us simply now to receive the nourishment that we need. Day by day, gathering what we need, finding our hearts strengthened day by day, preparing us for the time when we will sprint again. For now, walking is okay. It's like, where do I go to get this nourishment? On this day, this intersection, here the meal is made ready for us. Bread for the journey. Wine to make our hearts glad. However we understand this meal, however we come to it, Jesus says, I'm present here in some way, and I am the bread of life. And there is no people on the face of the earth who have yet gotten down to the bottom of how this strengthens us. There is always more mystery in this meal for a tired and weary people who are simply looking to experience the abundance of God. And here, a little bit of bread and a little bit of wine is enough to fill the stomach of a grown person and strengthen us for the journey that is ahead. So friends, this is where we are. And it is a good place in faith. Let us be aware of that And let us take our next, even if unsteady and unstable step towards simply gathering what we need that we might be strengthened for the journey that is to come. Amen.